0: Love the generosity of our church. Love hearing just the tangible ways that generosity is impacting the people in our community. So thank you for all of those that, that take part in. It. it is a great thing to be a part of. Um if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 14. We will get there in just a few minutes. Uh, we have been making our way slowly through this incredible book of Romans and kind of give you a really quick rewind. For the first eleven chapters of this book, Paul is reminding the believers in Rome of just how far God reached or had to go to to reach them. It's all about his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And he builds this foundation through the first 11 chapters. And then in chapter 12, Paul turns our attention and their attention to how do you apply this theological truths into your life? Because theology is not something just to think about intellectually. It's meant to inform our minds, inform our behavior in the ways that we relate to God and relate to others. Well, in chapter 14, Paul is going to land on this question of how do I deal with Christians who think differently than I do? How do you get along with people who disagree with you about something that you feel passionately about? And I think that we need to hear this message now more than ever. I mean, our culture over the last several years has become uh, decidedly more polarized and divisive over just about any subject and I I think social media allows us to 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 debate or to disagree without having face-to-face conversations and as a result people are quick to to categorize people in this binary system of if they agree with me then they're worthy of my time and if they don't agree with me then I discard them I cancel them we have this term called cancel culture because of this really divisive nature that we're in does that ever happen in the church Does that kind of behavior or attitude ever infiltrate into the church? Unfortunately, yeah. There are plenty of things that Christians have disagreements over. Some of them are doctrinal in nature, like the the idea of eternal security or charismatic gifts or or mode of baptism. But many of the disagreements, many of of the the church splits and division that's in the church is actually over these gray areas, these areas where Scripture isn't clear on. And yet people still have very sharp opinions and these can be just as divisive maybe even more so than, than doctrinal issues like style of music translation of the bible what do you do with halloween with trick-or-treat what about public school versus home school what what kind of movies should a christian attend or, or view playing the lottery getting a tattoo and, and as i read down or read down that list you have an opinion we, we all have this list in our minds of do's and don'ts, of what matters to us and what doesn't. So what happens if my list of do's and don'ts doesn't match your list? And there's no clear scripture regarding it. I, I've seen Christians ruin churches over these gray areas. This is such a big deal that Paul is going to spend the better part of a chapter and a half talking about how important unity is in the church. Even when you disagree with somebody. A chapter and a half of 16 chapters, Paul is going to go over and over again. that This is how important unity is in the eyes of God. I think a statement that's attributed to St. Augustine best captures where we're going to try to land the plane today. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Paul is going to argue that in order for us to spread the good news of God's grace that we need to focus our attention and focus our time on the essentials of the gospel message and then give liberty to one another on things that aren't essential. And I think it's important for us to know from the beginning that, that unity is not the same thing as uniformity. Y- unity can have this rich diversity inside of the church as long as it's centered on Jesus. In a lot of ways, uh, what we're going to be looking at today is, is a very practical outworking of what Paul says in Romans 12 16 where he says live in harmony with each other now it's really easy to live in harmony with people who think just the way that you do it doesn't require a whole lot of work but we each come into this community of believers with our own unique blend of convictions and backgrounds and beliefs so there are times and in a lot of ways where we're not going to see things eye to eye well, that's exactly what's playing out in the Roman church at the time. This young Roman church it was made up of this mixture of converted Jews and converted pagans. And it was just this mixing pot of all kinds of, of ethnicities and backgrounds and upbringings. And it was starting to cause some issues inside of the Roman church. So how do we deal with Christians who don't agree with us? Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to dive into Romans chapter 14. Pick up in verse 1. Paul says, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So Paul, at the very beginning, assumes that there will be disagreements within the church over these disputable matters, over these matters of opinion. And he says that these disputes, these disagreements, have a, have the capacity to divide people into two camps, either the strong or the strong or the weak. And both of these are Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus, but they just come at it from different perspectives. And when he talks about someone who is weak, he, it's not meant to be derogatory, it's not demeaning, he's just saying, he's not even saying that they are less spiritual than the strong, but rather because of a weakness in a particular area in their life, that they aren't comfortable with having more freedom in their lives. They, their consciences are, are more sensitive, they, they are more conservative, and they have set up these guardrails, these safeguards uh, in their life. Maybe they have not yet developed the the muscle needed to withstand temptation or the the pressures of of the external world coming in, and so what they've done, these weaker brothers or sisters, they have added more rules to their faith to protect themselves, and all of us are the weaker brother or sister in some areas of our lives, based on our past, based on our struggles, And Paul is saying that you who are strong in this area, you you who have not had to go through some of these circumstances, you who don't have baggage in this area, accept these believers. Take them in, welcome them, and don't try to change their opinion on the matter. Don't penalize them, don't judge them as they are working through this particular issue in their lives. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to raise two hot-button issues in in the roman church to to give us some principles on how to live this out and the, the two things that, that were going on inside of this church that were causing this division was their diet and their days so verse two picks up it says one person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables there you have it word of god right there so some people are, are highlighting that that's right that's my new life first right there so is Paul saying that the vegetarian believer has a weaker faith and that they need to eat meat to get strong? No. So what was happening in the church was that the people were avoiding eating meat for a very particular reason. There were temples throughout the Roman Empire to these false gods. And what would happen is people would bring meat to sacrifice at these temples, they would, the, the priest wouldn't use all of them and so they would take whatever leftover meat down to the market and that's what people would would buy a lot of times in the market so some of the gentile believers who, who may have had a history of worshiping these uh, these false idols thought that if they bought meat in the market that they may be inadvertently supporting this idol worship these temples and, and that they may be complicit in perpetuating this kind of false worship and so they concluded I don't think it's right for a Christian to eat meat, and I don't think that you should think it's right either. So Jennifer in the church is there. She's only eating vegetables, and Bob is going, um, you know idols aren't real, right? I mean, so the meat isn't tarnished in any way. All I'm doing is eating a cheeseburger. And she's like, no, you're not. You're actually keeping these idol worshipers in business. So can you see the problem? Can you see how two Jesus-loving believers can have a sharp disagreement because of some baggage in their, in their life and a different perspective of seeing things. Well, Paul goes on in verse 3, and he says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So now Paul is talking to both sides, the, the weak brother and the strong brother. And to the stronger, Paul says, Don't hold them in contempt. Um, the the tendency of the one that is walking in more freedom in their Christian walk is to look down on the more sensitive, the the weaker brother, and just say, hey, lighten up. I mean, you you, you can loosen the reins a little bit here. And the weaker, the more rules-based brother tends to judge and condemn the stronger brother, believing that they're too worldly, that they aren't taking their faith seriously enough. Each thinks that the other person has clearly landed on the wrong conclusion so so what do you do if you think that their views are crazy paul says that you need to accept them by remembering this idea that god has already accepted them paul is saying that you have no right to stand over someone and condemn them or stand in a place of judgment only god has the power to declare that and he has declared that both of you are accepted So, unless you think that God's acceptance is somehow misguided, then your responsibility as a believer is to accept the other person. And then Paul puts the shoe on the other foot and he addresses uh, some of the Jewish the the concerns that the Jewish people had. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. So what was happening is some of these Jewish believers were continuing to practice. The, the, the holy days and the festivals and the Sabbaths, uh, Yom Kippur, Passover, those kinds of things. They, these had been big deals uh, for centuries in the Jewish people. They, they, it was a way for them to honor God and to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And so they thought that they should just continue that practice because it added a, a dynamic to their faith. They, they, they felt like they were honoring God more when they lifted up these the sacred days. But do you think the Gentiles honored Sabbath days? didn't know what it meant they didn't really care in their minds these days were, were just a part of the old law that Jesus had freed them from so the Jew was taking these days off and not doing anything while the Gentile was just acting as if life was just going about their own business so now it was the Jewish believers who were offended by the Gentile believers who weren't holding up these holy days and the and the Gentile believers were like hey knock it off there's not a big deal it's just another day so how does Paul tell them to resolve these kinds of disputes that, that we're starting to call some division? He says at the end of verse 5, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and also gives thanks to God. So according to Paul, the, these issues that were starting to, to divide the church were just matters of conscience. It was just a personal preference or a personal conviction. It's a morally neutral issue. And so they have freedom to choose whichever camp that they want to go on. Should I buy buy meat from the market, knowing that it may have come from the idol? Paul says, your choice, personal conviction. Should, Should I keep certain days as more holy and sacred? Paul says, your choice, personal conviction. If that's a habit that allows you to worship God, go for it. And I think it's crucial that we understand that these these personal convictions, these, these matters of conscience, are only dealing with those issues where there is not a clear command in Scripture. Th- this does not in any way say that, that truth is relative or that morality is defined by how uh, tolerating somebody's conscience is. That, that is not what is going on here. We don't have differences of opinion about what God is clear on, about sexual immorality or murder or stealing or lying. Th- these areas God has spoken very clearly about, and so the authority of Scripture is non-negotiable but on these disputable matters paul says that our responsibility is to develop an informed opinion to be fully convinced of our reasoning so we know what scripture says and we run it through this grid of does it honor god can i do this action with god in mind and so we develop these convictions we know what we believe and we know why we believe it and then with this conviction, what do we do? We keep it to ourselves. We, we don't argue with other people about it. Now, now think about that. that. That's a really hard thing to do. I mean, if you do the hard work of sitting down and become fully convinced of your belief system, you, you've analyzed it from however many different angles you can, and you have come to this logical conclusion. And then Paul says, what I want you to do is if you come across somebody and they think differently than you on this, say, you know what, that's okay. My job isn't to convince you. My job isn't to shame you or to try to convert you to my way of thinking, to my opinion on this matter. And what's interesting is that if you read a little bit further in in Romans 14, Paul later will give his opinion on this matter of food. He, He has an opinion. He is fully convinced of his own argument, but he doesn't force his conviction on them because he recognizes the sensitivity of this, that people may be bringing different perspectives to the issue. And what he said is that you're going to have different opinions on some of these disputable matters. Um, And as long as you are doing it to honor God, as long as you are choosing your way through it, making sure that it honors God, it doesn't matter where you fall on the issue. What we have to be able to do is we have to trust that the other person is actually trying to please God with the way that they're going about this. And Paul says, here's what you need to do. You need to make up your mind, and then you need to quietly live that out. Your convictions don't have to be my convictions on this matter. Live with it. Deal with it. But make sure that it does not lead to division in the church. Make sure that you are chasing after unity above everything else. Paul then returns their attention to what really matters in life. These things that are of first importance, what the gospel message says. So in verse 9, he says, For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life. So that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He, he makes this very clear gospel statement that Jesus lived a sinless life. That, that he died our death. And then he returned to life to prove that he was the son of God and that he had defeated sin, that he had defeated death once and for all. So Paul was saying, hey guys, remember, keep the main thing the main thing. Focus on what unites you. Don't get sidetracked on all these sidebar discussions. They're just causing division and ripping you apart. Paul's reminding them not to lose sight of their calling. He's like, remember what it is that you're called to do, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone, because Jesus wants to be Lord of all. And then at the end, he says that we will have to give an account of ourselves to God. Now, if you've been with us along this journey through Romans, you think, wait a second, I, I thought this judgment thing was over. I thought Jesus handled our judgment. What well, he did. This judgment or account is not determining our eternal destiny. If we have placed our faith in Christ, then our eternity is settled. I think what Paul is saying here is that we will have to give an account of how we treated our fellow brother or sister Did we love our brothers or did we treat them with contempt did did we lift up the unity of the church or did we destroy the testimony with outsiders because all we did was fought about these non-essential issues all the time i think we will be asked that question i think unity is that important to god that he's going to ask us what did you do with unity inside of your local gathering so what do we do with this these disagreements are going to happen so How do we live this out in our day and in our age? I think I'm going to give you a couple principles that I I drew drew out of this uh, passage. The first is that we need to assign the proper weight to the issue. Spiritual maturity is not just developing strong convictions. I mean, we we are called to do that. We're called to be fully convinced of where we stand on issues. But spiritual maturity is learning how to, to show restraint based on the weight that we give those issues. It's good to be passionate about the truth, but if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of thinking that everything is equally important, and and that's simply not true. I think one of the things that's helped me over the years kind of think through the kinds of weight that I give to certain convictions is to think in terms of buckets. So I'm going to kind of explain bucket one through five. So bucket one, these are the things that are essential to understand about what it means to be saved by grace through jesus so that the the gospel kinds of doctrine reside in bucket one bucket two would be key understanding or key doctrine in in the church but may not deal with salvation or it may deal with salvation a little bit but it's not quite as clear in scripture these are crystal clear in scripture in bucket one bucket two maybe not quite as clear or it may deal with something outside of the gospel message bucket three scripture is even less clear And most likely there are commonly held views that are different from each other. And when you start getting into bucket three issues, it's one of those things like, you know what, I can agree to disagree. I I, I can still be in fellowship with with people, and they they may think a little bit differently about an issue. So that's bucket three. Bucket four would be uh, personal opinions about something, but that you can make a moral argument about. And then bucket five issues, just personal preference style not even worth arguing about not even really worth talking about all that much so as you move from bucket one to bucket five these here are like closed-fisted but as you get further down here these have less and less weight to them and so therefore we ought to argue about them less and less the tension the tension zone is like buckets two through four Uh, bucket one crystal clear. It's the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. If you start arguing about this, we're kind of getting outside of basic orthodoxy. Bucket five, I think most people would would get to a place saying, yeah, it's really not worth dividing over. These buckets two through four, this is where there's back and forth, and people a lot of times will choose their churches based around what they put in buckets two through four. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want to do for us. I want to have like 15 or 20 different statements on here and I'm going to tell you where I put them in buckets they, they don't necessarily have to be where you would put them but this is where I would put them in and in, uh, in how I would categorize them and as I'm putting them there I want you to think in your mind what bucket would you put these things in so the first Jesus rose from the dead no-brainer right that's bucket one that, that, that is essential to understanding of the gospel how about you? normative use of charismatic gifts inside of the church for me, I would say that there are there's a lot of commonly held views on this. Denominations have different ways of looking at it. For me, it's an agree to disagree. I have my convictions, but I, I would not divide over that, that. That would be a bucket three issue for me. Coffee in the auditorium. What? Bucket five. <laughs> <laughs> How about worship style? Traditional versus contemporary, I say that's a bucket five issue. I'd have your preference, whatever you want to do. Alcohol in moderation should or can a christian drink alcohol in moderation so scripture speaks very clearly about drunkenness but it does not necessarily um, rule out alcohol altogether so i think this is one where somebody can bring a moral argument to it and say what's the wise choice for me to make i'd say this is a bucket four issue for me the doctrine of hell that's bucket two that's really important but i would say it's not necessarily tied to you don't have to necessarily have a, a um A type of doctrine of hell to be saved it's a but it's a very big thing and just to poke the bear vaccine (laughs) i i'm tempted to put it over here in bucket five or maybe six or seven but i i think that somebody and i uh, the people that i talk to i think that you can make a moral argument on both sides and people sometimes do so for that i put it in a bucket four. predestination slash election this idea of um Um, A calvinistic viewpoint i would say that people have really strong opinions about this i would say it's a bucket two or a bucket three bucket two maybe because it does deal with salvation i for me it's a bucket three it's a agree to disagree type of thing mode of baptism do you do infant baptism do you do sprinkling do you do um dunking what do you want to do i say it's a bucket three issue for me uh there's a lot of uh, believers that i can be in fellowship with that may have a different view on this eternal security of believers that means that once you are saved by god's grace that you remain in his grace forever i'm going to put that bucket two only because it does deal with salvation but i know that i have other brothers and sisters in christ who may have a little bit different opinion than me so very important to have an understanding but i'd say it's a bucket two church governance How, how do you go about governing the church um scripture does talk about elders and deacons, but it doesn't give a lot more description about how they, they, they should be employed in the church. I would put that in a bucket three issue just because I think it is important for us to um, have an understanding of how we run God's church, but I'm not going to put it in bucket one or two. How about a literal six-day creation? This can create quite a bit of division in the church sometimes. It definitely is not needed for salvation. For me, I would probably put it in a bucket three I believe that God created everything from nothing, but you can argue about how long it took him to do that. That's bucket three for me. Bible translation, bucket five, not really worth a whole lot of conversation about. Homeschool versus public school. This can be a divisive issue, and, and I would put it in bucket four because I do think that there can be a moral argument about why it is that people either put their kids in the public school system or keep them home to instruct them. The Bible as the Word of God, that it's an authority in our lives. Not needed for salvation, but definitely in a very important bucket, that's going to be a bucket two, and then a very easy one. Jesus is the only way. Please tell me you know the answer to this one. Please, please. Bucket one. Thank you very much. So, I I would say that the church is healthiest when the conversations are around bucket one and bucket two issues, and that we give liberty, that we allow for the Spirit's leading and personal conviction in these buckets Three through, three through five. And what we have to be able to do is to make sure that we are keeping our attention and our focus on what really matters about this God who loves us, that sent his son to die for us, that we spend our time focusing on this and let the Spirit lead how he wants to here. So that's rule number one. Rule number one is to assign the proper weight to the issue. The second principle that I think we need to abide by is that we need to lead with love and acceptance. Um, on these disputable matters, uh, it's crucial that we begin with the fact that, that we are dealing, again, with somebody that God has already said, they're mine. I have accepted them. And accepting another person doesn't require that we have to agree with them. I, I can respectfully disagree with somebody's ideas or opinions without rejecting the person who holds them. I think that's where we get um, a little bit sideways sometimes, is that we not only reject the idea, we, we reject the person who who has it. Acceptance leaves lots of room for differing preferences. It it allows another person the opportunity to be different um, without judgment. Acceptance allows for um, some time to understand what their perspective is on things, and it extends to that person the benefit of the doubt, that that they are trying to honor God with with their own convictions in this. Acceptance also means that, that we are open to having our consciences our own opinions uh, reformed over time so are you humble enough to learn from another believer who may have a different perspective than you or are you so entrenched in your opinion that you can't even have a conversation about it can you go to somebody and honestly genuinely ask so tell me why you land on that conviction but explain to me how you got there we need to be patient with those who don't see things the same way that we do Because there's one of two things that that are going to happen. Um, One is that you might be wrong in your conviction. I I know it's shocking, but it may very well be that you are wrong in your conviction, even though you hold it very tightly. Um, I I can tell you, for me, that my opinion on some things, my convictions on things have changed over time. Nothing in bucket one or two, but definitely over time, I've had some changes of, of opinion and convictions on buckets three, four, and five, but because of either an experience that I went through or a conversation that I had with another believer that I have had my opinion, and my conviction shaped. Or two, um, God may have graced you with insight that he just hasn't given the other person yet. And so you need to give them time. Uh, Give them some room to breathe. Give them some room to discover for themselves what God would like to change in their perspective on some of these gray areas. But God never gives you the right to belittle or condemn or judge someone else's convictions they don't answer to you if they are wrong god will correct them stop acting like they answered you i i I love how i was reading up this week this one um, biblical scholar put it this way he said paul is bent on stressing that jesus is lord of the teetotaling sabbath following vegetarian and the wine sipping saturday shopping bacon munching believer if god has justified them they cannot condemn each other if god has raised them up they cannot put each other down if they belong to the Lord, then they belong to each other. And if everyone calls him Lord, they must call each other brothers and sisters. If God has accepted them, they must accept each other. And then lastly, third point, pursue unity as the goal. I, I will, again, I, I will say that truth matters. And, and there are some things that you may find yourself that you need to divide from another believer, but the bar for division should be really, really high. Uh, one of Jesus' final prayers found in John 17 was all about the unity of the church. So if I'm going to separate, if, I, if there's going to be division in it, then it needs to be around bucket one, bucket two stuff. It needs to be essential. Unity in the body of Christ is much more essential than uniformity around non-essential issues. The gospel, the, the body of Christ, I, our witness to the outside world is vastly more important than some kind of uniformity of opinion. What the world needs is a church that is passionate about Jesus, not this other stuff, where, where we remember that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and that my brother is redeemed by the blood of Christ just like me, that he is declared righteous and forgiven just like me, that he is filled with the same Spirit, that he is loved by the same God just like me and that is the source of our unity but it takes mature love to to put our personal preference below or under the good of others in the unity of the church so paul says listen you're going to walk through this life and you will have different opinions on non-essential matters live with it deal with it deal with it in in a way that, that is kind that's full of love and full of grace and actually, seed is one of the things that makes the church such a beautiful testimony to the world that that you can be different and think different and still live together. Unfortunately, that the church is known more for spending our time arguing about bucket three through five types of things, and it just kind of creates this this white noise to the outside world. When we want to start talking about the important stuff of the gospel, they can't hear because all they see is division and backbiting and arguing about these non-essential things. When these other buckets distract us from being able to share the gospel, we're doing it wrong. May we be the kind of church where our love for the gospel and our love for sharing the gospel with the outside world is stronger than our perspectives or our opinions on debatable issues. Let me pray for us. God, you remind us over and over again that what you want inside of your church is unity. You want us to focus our attention, to have our minds transformed as we keep in view your mercy, your grace, your goodness. God, help us to keep the truth of your gospel at the center of our lives. We can have conversations about opinions and insights that, that maybe you have brought into our minds, but God, help us to, to not be argumentative or debating all the time or being divisive. That we want uh, to present to the outside world looking in a beautiful bride. Help us to link arms, to encourage each other. God, help us to, to do the hard work of, of doing some introspection, of coming to convictions, about certain things, to, to know what your word says, but thank God that, that we can let love and unity and grace and mercy win the day. That we, we need your grace to be able to do that, continue to soften our hearts, remove pride that oftentimes gets in the way so that we can love each other well and point others to you. It's In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Have a good one, guys.